From Genesis 3 to 11, the world is bleak. If you read from Genesis 3 to 11, uh, five times you find the word curse. In, in chapter 3, twice, in chapter 4, once, chapter 5, once, chapter 9, it's a word that captures the sense of chaos and judgment that had fallen upon the world. So the, the world, in a sense, is cursed by the fall of humanity. And it reaches a real low point in, in Genesis 11 where uh, the vortex of humankind's sinfulness reaches its full strength as it inverses uh, with the lost humanity's attempt to climb out of the hole that they find themselves in. They literally build a tower. You may have heard of the story of the Tower of Babel. And they set out to build a building to show that they can save themselves, to show that they can solve their own problems, and they can rise up to God. Of course, God hasn't given them the instruction. They haven't sought his, his guidance or his support. They lay brick upon brick up into the sky. But if you know the story, the entire scheme of exalting ourselves instead of God is cursed. The tower comes crashing down just as every subsequent tower that human beings build to save themselves and to ultimately solve their own problems comes collapsing. During COVID, when it first hit us, I lived in Genesis, the story of Abraham, and I was struck again and again by um, how different the story of Abraham is to the situation we find ourselves in. Because what happened with COVID is the, the tower of human progress came crashing down. The illusion that human beings, we just organized ourselves, could preempt every difficulty, could solve all of our own problems, and this little minuscule virus brought us to our knees. And this is the story of human history. It's happened in the past, and it'll happen again in the future. So the world of Abraham is a bleak world, accursed, but despair not into a bleak world and to a lost man out of the blue, the one true God, the maker of heaven and earth, makes acquaintance with Abraham. Just as, at we, as we are at our worst and most bleak, God reaches his hand into the rubble of human a fallen humanity, and by sheer grace selects Abraham, one moon worshiper amongst a whole bunch, and he pours out blessing on this man. And uh, in the Genesis chapter 12, five times God uses the word bless, 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 to cancel out, in a sense, the curse, 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 curse that occurs five times in the chapters that precede. God does for us as he did for Abraham. He graciously reaches down into the slimy whirlpool of a fallen humanity and he takes hold of our sin-drenched lives. And Abraham discovers that nothing that he had done merited God's choice of him. It was pure grace. And did you know that there's nothing you can do, no good deeds that will qualify you for God's grace? Then again, your bad deeds don't disqualify you either. This is scandalous grace. And I love four times in these verses, you hear the words, God speaking, I will, I will, I will, I will. God saves us, not because we climb a mountain to go looking for him. 
He saves us when we're in the pit. Even when we're not looking for God, God comes looking for us. Last week, I did two uh, memorials of a 69-year-old man and a 79-year-old man, a woman, sorry, and, um, and, uh, and I'm mindful of how many non-Christian people were at that memorial, and uh, I made the point in my message that, um, that they could find the one who has been looking for them all their lives. They just didn't know it. And that is the story of the gospel. God comes looking for you. If you don't need to go looking for him. And if you're here today, by the way, and you're new, I suspect that that's part of God's initiative. And he himself is saying, I will, I will, I will, as he speaks into your life. So that's the first thing. Grace, amazing grace. Um, against the backdrop of human sinfulness and the bleakness of humanity, God's uh, light comes piercing through, and the darker the night, the brighter the light, but the shaft of light reaches this man, Abraham, first. But Abraham, we're children of Abraham, which means what God does for him, he wants to do for you. He wants to do for, for me. That's the first idea, grace. The second thing we learn in the story of Abraham is promise, promise. Listen to the promises God speaks over this man. He says, it speaks about the land I will show you, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. Now, as we read that, we go, hang on. This is 2000 BC. God's speaking to another guy. He's not speaking to us. Ah, but if you read the rest of the Bible, it tells us that if you are a child of Abraham, the promise God made to him, he makes to you. That's why Paul could speak about us being blessed. Am I off again? Yeah. I don't know, I'll come back to you. That's why Paul speaks about being blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. We get to be blessed along with Abraham. So I just want to run through these promises. And if you could somehow hear God's voice saying, this is his promise over your life. Of course, this gets translated through Jesus Christ. So let me break it down. God says to Abraham, speaks about the land I will show you. Speaking about this inheritance yeah. that he has with him. And um, all the houses of me don't worry about what's happening behind me. <laughs> you everybody get out of the hat, the little stones to find out their slice of the inheritance. And King David's praise God that the boundary lines have fallen for him in pleasant places. One of the great joys of life is to stop comparing yourself to anyone else and say, God, what are the plans you have for me? And it's just awesome. Julie and I live in a beautiful home with five bedrooms and enough space for our children. But before that, we lived in a fairly small place. And we were in a tiny little home. It's a fraction of a prison garden. Okay, I'm kind of enjoying the proximity there. I will make your name great. It's so different to what they were doing at Babel. They were saying, let us build a name for ourselves. Let us make our name great. It's such an in instinct in, in human beings to try to make a name for yourself. And, you know, one in, one in a thousand get it right. The rest of us get forgotten, like, before we even die. <laughs> 
It's hard to make a name for yourself. It requires incredibly hard work, a lot of luck, and a remarkable combination of talents. And even if you've got that, your grandkids probably won't remember you, your great-grandkids certainly. And yet God says, I will give you a name. I will make your name great. Here we are doing a whole sermon on a guy who lived 2000 BC, a moon worshiper called Abraham. God has made his name great. That God wants to take your name and have his name on your lips. There's a verse in Isaiah 49 that says, God has inscribed your name on his hand and he's written your name in the book of life. It's the greatest honor that your name would be on the, on the mouth of Jesus. And God has got a way of making your life significant to spare you from the burden of always trying to make your life significant as if it was all up to you. And then God says to Abraham, you will be a blessing. You will be a blessing. We get to represent Jesus. Freely you've received, freely give. God doesn't just come to Abraham and says, I'm gonna bless you. He says, I'm gonna bless you and then I'm gonna bless through you. If there's a prayer that Julie and I pray for our children more than any other, it's simply this, God, I bless my children and make them a blessing. In fact, every Monday morning we read the Bible together and we usually pray, God, come and bless us this week as a family and make us a blessing. God's plan is not just to bring you into his kingdom, his plan is to make you an envoy of that kingdom. Freely you've received, freely give. And then God says to Abraham, I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And this is code language in the ancient world for I will so identify with you that the way people treat you, it's like I'm taking it personally. The apostle Paul made the biggest discovery of his life. He was out to destroy the early Christian church and he encounters Jesus on the road to Damascus. And Jesus says, and he says, who are you? And the, the, the blinding vision says, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Can you imagine what happened in Paul's brain right there? He knew that he was persecuting a people and he has somebody saying, you mess with my people, you mess with me. And Paul in the New Testament is the one who came up with the metaphor that the church is the body of Christ and Jesus is its head. Jesus is so connected to his people, he identifies with his people. He prizes his people. And this is part of God's promise over your life. And then God, Paul says, I mean, Abraham says, God says to Abraham, there's a lot of people talking here, all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. God promises far-reaching impact. It's amazing. There are children of Abraham all over the world. Today, about a third of the world pledges allegiance to, I'm quoting Matthew 1 verse 1, Jesus the Messiah, the son of Abraham. And there's no sign of uh, Jesus' fame abating. And I want to prophesy over this community that its impact will be in this country, in the city, but into nations beyond the city. I'm going to prophesy that over this community. Birds come and gather, and then birds fly away. Birds come and gather, but then birds fly away. What God tends to do is he tends to draw people in and then send them out. And we're certainly in a phase of our church where we are being drawn in. I got drawn in. Most of you have got a similar story like, what are you doing sitting here today? Probably you're experiencing the drawing power of God. 
You're like one of the birds that have been drawn into this tree. But there comes a time where you've eaten the fruits of this tree. <laughs> and you've got the seeds of this tree and you take it out and you plant the seed of God's work around the world. And I've no idea how it's gonna work out. I know that we're not gonna manipulate it, but I prophesy over this community an exciting international impact. Blessed to be a blessing. Blessed to be a blessing. Okay, so we're two-thirds, actually more than two-thirds through the message already. I've spoken about grace. I've spoken about promise. What was the third one again? Grace, promise, faith. Well, let me read more. Genesis 12, verse four. So Abraham went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abraham was 75 years old when he set out from Haran, which is where he lived in Mesopotamia. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. They set out and they arrived there. Guess how long they had to walk? 5,000 kilometers with all of that stuff. So probably this was a long, hard trick. Where was Abraham going? He just had a direction. God's Spirit said, that way. But he had no idea where he was gonna go. And the life of faith is often that, going but not knowing. Remember, we didn't walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had. We learned three things about faith in these verses. Firstly, faith is based on hearing, not sight. The only reason that Abraham had faith is not because he psychologically worked up a state of faith in his heart. No, he had faith because God spoke to him. There's a verse in the Bible that says, faith comes from hearing God's word. Abraham didn't see the land that he was going to. He just heard God say, there's land out there. I'm sending you to it. I've got it for you. Go. When God speaks to you, that's when faith is born. He might speak to you through the scriptures, which is why it's so good to build a reflection on scripture into every day of your life. He speaks to us through the gospel message. I became a Christian when I heard that God loved me so much that he sent his son to live and die for me so that I could be with him forever. I heard the message and I was granted the gift of faith. Or you might hear uh, God's word through a preacher or you might hear God's word through the whisper of, a, of the spirit. Or you might hear God's word through the words of a prophetically gifted person. I, whichever way the voice of God comes to you, when it comes to you, faith is conceived. Think about that, the more time you drench yourself in scripture, the more faith is being born in your heart. Faith is based on hearing, not sight. Secondly, faith comes from God's promises. The next verse says that, then Abraham noticed the Canaanites who owned the land. God promised him that this land would eventually belong to the tribes. Abraham lived by faith in God's declared promise, not by observing his current circumstances. So he's literally wandering around the neighborhood and all of the houses are already sold. And God said, yeah, this whole area will be yours one day. He never gets it in his life. He just lives in the promise. He lives in the promise. Can God's promises be trusted? Well, scripture answers definitively. It says, since God is not human that he should lie or change his mind, will he speak and then not act? Will he promise and then not fulfill? God is absolutely trustworthy because he is good. In other words, he doesn't tell lies. And because he is competent, which means he's able to fulfill his promises. Faith comes 
from God's promises, especially when you hear God promising you something, there's an opportunity of faith rise up in your heart. And then finally, faith gives rise to obedience. Faith gives rise to obedience. It says, so Abraham went as the Lord had told him. I sometimes see my Muslim friends in Cape Town wearing a shirt that says, obey. Because right at the heart of Islam is the idea of submission. Literally, um, a Muslim is, is somebody in submission. The, the core idea in Islam is there are commands, do them. Well, if, you, if I were to recommend a, a t-shirt that, a, that, that a, a Christian wanted to wear that would in one word capture the essence of the faith, other than the word Jesus, it would be the word believe. Believe. Because essentially Abraham is a believer who in light of what God is saying is obeying. His obedience rises from faith. This is not a legalistic obedience. This is a trusting someone who says something, and because you trust them, you do it. Because you trust them, you do it. Notice that true obedience is not only spiritual, it's so practical. Abraham uh, makes massive adjustments to his life. He leaves behind some family. He takes many others who are connected to him. He packs for the trip to God alone knows where. He takes the long journey one step at a time in the direction the Spirit indicates. Obedience may start as a moment of decision, but it unfolds in a steady process of adjustment, working itself out into the details of our daily life. Once God shows us the next step, we should give up our delay tactics as well as our search for alternatives. Only taking that step, however difficult or lengthy or practical it may be, will put us in the place where God can show us the next step after that. Each one moving us deliciously closer and closer to even greater a blessing from above. Faith, grace, promise. I don't know about you, but I'm really excited about this uh, journey in the footsteps of Abraham because by the time we're done in this journey, those three words will not just be something you've heard today, they will be deeply etched into the very fiber of your being. Can I have the band up, please? Can I ask you to stand up? I just want to speak those words over you. Grace. Grace. Are you carrying the burden of sin and compromise in your life? And hear this word. Grace. Grace to forgive you. Grace to clear away the stain of shame. Grace. Are you feeling like it's up to you to make your future? And hear this word, grace. <laughs> Not a case of you saying, we're gonna build this life. We're gonna make a name for ourselves. Instead, hear the words, I will, I will, I will, I will. Steep yourself in the initiative of God. Grace. Discover that Abraham, even though he is obeying God, 
has got all kinds of weaknesses and compromises in his life. This doesn't disqualify him from usefulness to God, but God is committed to, to working in his life to transform him. God's grace not only forgives you, God's grace transforms you. Grace, receive those words now. Promise. Maybe there's something in my message that particularly stood out to you as if God was highlighting that to you in particular. Latch yourself onto that promise. We've got a few more minutes together. Why don't you listen for the promise of the Spirit? I believe that God wants to just whisper His promise to some of you. Some of you, He's promised you before, but you've forgotten and he's gonna renew that promise. You're gonna hear a confirmation of that promise. For those of you, you're gonna come forward and be prayed for and somebody's gonna prophesy promise over your life. God wants to speak promises over each of our lives today. Faith is a gift that comes from hearing God's word. Obey. As God tells you to do something, or gives you a promise, what step do you need to take next? Like this week, like this afternoon maybe. Let him show you. It's an adventure, this life of trust-based obedience. We're going to sing. God's going to minister to us where we are. But if you want prayer, and especially we're going to be prophesying over people in the front, please come up to the front right away. What we do in Signal is while we worship, we also minister to people. So come and take that opportunity.